You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. Good morning, everyone. So good to be in God's house together, isn't it? And how good to spend all that time in prayer as well, you know? We have a direct line to our Heavenly Father and He cares about us and all of our needs and, um, yeah, He hears our prayers and petitions. Amen? Amen. So we're going to continue this morning um, in God's story. As we see, we've done a bit of the journey so far through this year as we're working our way through the Bible and um, just really absorbing ourselves in what is God's story and God's invitation to humanity. Um, The message today I've titled Hashtag Blessed. Who knows what a hashtag is? (laughs) Joel does. (laughs) We got a few half hands up. Hashtag Blessed. A hashtag, in short, is a way on social media of... Um, I guess, categorising or grouping images, so photos or thoughts or reflections that someone shared into like categories. So you might share something about dogs, a photo of dogs, and you might go hashtag dogs or dog life, dog lover, something like that. So in recent times, we've seen a rise, if you are a social media user, of this hashtag blessed as you scroll through your Facebook or Instagram feed. And um, it's become so popular that it's almost found its way into our modern vernacular, our way of talking. I have heard just a few times, not too many, but a few times, someone will share some thoughts about how good life is at the moment, how they're experiencing such joy or contentment, and they might actually round off their thoughts by saying hashtag blessed. Has anyone else experienced that? Joel has. <laughs> There's a pattern here. <laughs> I think there was an image. Was there an image coming up next on the slides, Lockie? Of, um, yeah. So this is the sentiment that is conveyed. When you see this hashtag blessed, this is the type of thing that they're talking about. It's like Julie Andrews, Sound of Music, On the Hills, life is good, life could not be better, I'm really enjoying life right now. It's like, yeah, all is right in the world. And we might chuckle because it does feel a little cliche, a bit corny. But the reality is this, right? All of us want to live the good life. Yes? I don't think there's... I've never come across someone who does not want to live the good life. We all want to feel that sense of contentment, of joy, of peace, of rest, of blessing in our lives. We don't want trouble. We don't want hardship. We don't want tension or pain or suffering. We want a blessed life. And today, as we continue in God's story through the Bible, we're coming to a man of whom this hashtag blessed sentiment could not be truer. A man whose life is characterised by his dogged, his determined pursuit of blessing in his life. He's constantly shoring up his own position, building his own prosperity to gain that sense of peace and rest in his life, and that man is Jacob. So, as we look at the life and times, this is Jacob, by the way, Abraham's grandson, Isaac's son, we come to Jacob. We're going to focus in on Genesis chapter 32, where we read that Jacob, 
The night before returning home, after he's spent years in exile, away from his family in a foreign land, he finds himself in an extremely, it reads really so random in the narrative, he finds himself in this mysterious, strange, middle-of-the-night wrestling match. And his wrestling partner, yeah, it blows my mind actually, is none other than God himself. So as we come to God's word this morning, how about we pray together? Lord, we thank you for the blessing of your word that you've given us, Lord, um, that your word is living and active and it has the power as you speak through your word to us to actually transform us. Lord, it's not for information's sake, it's for transformation's sake, Lord, to draw us nearer to you, to show us more of your heart, more of your love for us. And Lord, we want to dive into that today together as a church family Lord, we pray that as we open your word together now, that you would indeed lead us in all that you have for us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, if you'll indulge me for a moment, close your eyes and imagine this scenario with me. You've travelled a long journey by foot through rough desert terrain and find yourself at the border of the region you are to call home. After years of hard work to set up your family, you've finally made it. You're wealthy and want for nothing, except for peace. Peace is elusive, it always has been. You've lived in tension with yourself, business partners, your family members, your wives and children. You've lived in tension with God for as long as you can remember. The pieces of broken relationships lie in fragments all around you. Esau, 20 years. That's how long it's been since you last laid eyes on your twin brother, the brother whose rights and inheritance as the firstborn you took by force and deception. He never forgave you the wrong you did to him. He was so enraged, he planned to kill you just as soon as your dad, Isaac, had died. He was waiting to ensure that your dad would not be further heartbroken. You'd already caused your dad enough pain as it was. You inhaled deeply, desperate for the cool night air to settle your nerves and fears. Earlier, you sent your large family, your servants, your herds, everything you own, over the river ahead of you, into the land God promised your family and the generations to come. You sent them to wait for you to join them at morning's first light. You wanted, you needed time to pause, to be alone with your thoughts, to plan your next move. You know it was God who spoke to you and asked you to return here. After two decades of life, business, marriages, children, struggle and wealth abroad, you know that it was God who spoke to you and asked you to return. But Esau, how to guard your life and the lives of your family from his wrath? Will this be your last night on earth? The last night you'll ever look to the stars and remember God's promise of blessing to your family. What will become of that promise if you're all dead? He sent word to you that he's coming to meet you tomorrow. Him and 400 fighting men. Maybe if you break the family and your possessions up into two groups, at least some of you might get the chance to escape when he attacks. 
Maybe that way the promise can still come to pass. You've sent him the olive branch of olive branches, a peace offering so extravagant and expensive, it just might go some way to placate him. Maybe he'll have his vengeance on you and let the women and children survive. But what's this? You make out a figure walking towards you from the distance. Is it a wild animal? One of your servants coming to bring you news from the camp? Is it Esau? The figure comes closer. A man, but you don't recognise him as one of your own. Perhaps another traveller. Perhaps he's lost. He stops a few paces away from you. Shalom, you begin, communicating peace to him. You're curious to meet this unexpected visitor, but more than slightly fearful given his unknown origins and your present circumstance. Shalom, he replies, then swiftly drops his staff and throws off his cloak. Before you realise what's happening, you're caught up in the wrestling match of the century. This unknown competitor is wrestling hard, and you realise this is no coincidence. This man came here intent on this moment. You've been a herdsman your entire life. Physical strength is a forte. You switch into survival mode and wrestle as if your life depends on it. Because for all you know, it does. You can open your eyes if you've had them closed. How did it come to this? How did Jacob get to this point? When we come to this account of this strange, and it's written as an all-night wrestling match in the middle of the night in Genesis 32, Jacob is on the brink of returning to the land of Canaan, the land that God promised to give his grandfather Abraham and all his descendants. He has spent decades living estranged from his family in exile in the land of Paddan Aram, and he is scared beyond belief at the prospect of meeting his brother Esau again. And he's rightly afraid too, because the last time that he had anything to do with Esau, Esau wanted his blood. That's why he went into exile. But let's just stop for a moment and provide some context to this encounter. Let's backtrack and look at Jacob's life up to this point. So up until now in Jacob's story, he has spent his whole life, and I mean his whole life, in tension and conflict with others and with God. From the moment he was conceived, life had been one battle after another after another for Jacob. When she was pregnant, his mother, Rebecca, married to Isaac, Abraham's son, she asked God, why are these babies in me wrestling? Why are they wrestling with each other? And it turns out God revealed to her that this jostling inside of her was a sign of things to come for Esau and for Jacob. And it says in Genesis 25, verse 23, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. And Genesis goes on to say that Esau was born first, followed quickly by Jacob, who was actually born holding on to Esau's heel. And that's why he was named Jacob, because Jacob in the Hebrew means he grasps the heel. So it was a description of the way that he was born. But it also is an idiom for he takes advantage of or he deceives. 
And this was the pattern by which Jacob lived his life. He lived a life of swindling, of scheming, of planning and deception to further his own cause in life and boost his own position, to secure blessing for himself. We read of the first recorded instance of this in Genesis 25, verse 29 to 34. Let's have a look at that now. It says, Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, this is when they were younger, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted. Probably not an unreasonable request of a sibling, I wouldn't think. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Wow. (laughs) It's not just like your regular sibling rivalry of give me the top bunk tonight or something like that. He's saying, no, 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 stop right now and promise me that you'll give me the birthright. And for some context here, the birthright in ancient Eastern cultures was a big deal. It essentially meant that when the father of the home passed on, that the firstborn son would come into that place of honour in the home and uh, be seen as the head of the household and would also receive a double portion of the family inheritance. So this is no small thing that Jacob is requesting of Esau at this point. Esau said... I'm about to die. Maybe a little dramatic. We don't know. May, I'm, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? He must have been pretty exhausted, I guess. Jacob said, swear to me now. He's like, uh-uh, you're not getting away. You sign on the line right now. Give me your birthright. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. What a trade. <laughs> Seriously, bread and lentil stew. And he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So here begins a pattern in Jacob's life of seeking to secure blessing for himself, independent, really, of God. But remember back in Genesis 25, 23, we read God's um, revelation to Rebekah of the jostling inside of her. God had in actual fact already chosen Jacob to be the son through whom God would bless Abraham's family line. Before he was even born, God had already destined that it would be Jacob and not Esau that would receive the family blessing. Keep this in mind. Jacob still makes a habit of seeking to secure blessing for himself. In Genesis 27, moving on, we see that Isaac comes to a time where he knows that his life is coming to an end and he wants to give his final blessing to his firstborn son, Esau. And this blessing, if you like, was a partner to the birthright. So you had the birthright which Jacob took deceptively and the, or manipulatively, and then the blessing. And this blessing, I guess, was a prayer of prophecy over the recipient and absolutely believed to carry the weight of God's blessing over that person's life, the words that were prayed over them. So as if it wasn't enough the, um, the birthright, to add insult to injury, Jacob, and he's aided here by his mum, Rebecca, deceives his now blind father, Isaac, into thinking that he, actual fact, Esau. And after much questioning by Isaac, you can read it um, yourselves. We don't have the time to go into all of it today, but it's Genesis 27, verses 27 to 36. It's as if Isaac knows that something's not quite right here, but eventually he is satisfied that, yes, this must be Jacob. And so he does indeed 
give Jacob the blessing of the firstborn. And when Isaac later learns that he has blessed Jacob and not Esau, he is devastated. And Esau, likewise, he is desperate for blessing. But but Isaac says to Jacob that his blessing is irrevocable. It can't be changed. The words that he has prayed and prophesied over Jacob will, in fact, come to pass. And so Esau's grief in this moment quickly turns to rage, and he plots to kill Jacob just as soon as Isaac dies. Their mum, Rebecca, hears of the plot and says to Jacob, go, go and live with my brother in the land of Paddan Aram. Isaac, the father, also thinks that this is a good idea at the time and says, while you're there, go and marry and settle down and build your family. And so Jacob does go to the land of Paddan Aram. I think there was a map maybe to show to some of that journey. So he starts down there near Beersheba, makes his way all the way up. You can see there's Paddan Aram sort of in the middle top there. So that's Jacob's journey, something like that, all the way away from the land of Canaan. And while he's living there with his uncle Laban, he does experience great blessing. He builds his family, he accumulates wealth and herds, but he also experiences years of struggle and tension again. And he finds it's kind of ironic that in uh, Laban, his uncle, he has actually met his match because Laban is just as manipulative and deceptive as he is. And a few examples of uh, Jacob's life and his struggle in the land of Paddan Aram, you can read in Genesis 28:31, Laban, his uncle, tricks Jacob by dishonestly providing his eldest daughter, Leah, to be Jacob's wife, even though he had promised to give Rachel in exchange for seven years. So Jacob loved Rachel, but Laban gave Leah. And Jacob, incensed by this deception, says, no, I really want to marry Rachel. And so Label says, yes, you can, but for another seven years of your work for me. So in total, he's working 14 years for this man to marry two wives, one of which he never really desired to marry. Um, And from that point on, we see literally decades worth, decades worth of content in this family to fill Days of Our Lives dramas. Um, as these wives, Rachel and Leah, they vie for Jacob's attention and affection, so much so that they then give their servants to him as further wives through whom to have children and to boost their honour in the household. And you just read there the struggle and the tension between all these characters in the family. Like, yeah, I don't think I would want to be a part of that family. Put it that way. It would be distressing to say the least. Um, and finally, in Genesis 30, 25, we see Jacob is ready to return home to the land of Canaan, but Laban doesn't want for him to go because he realises that while Jacob's here, he has been so blessed by his company, and he tries to persuade him to stay. And Jacob's sort of thinking things through, it seems, in the narrative, and he says, okay, I'll stay. Just give me a small percentage of your flocks, just care for them. Some will be mine, just a small percentage, and the rest will be yours. But he's scheming, the cogs are turning as he's putting this forward as a business proposal, and he has plans to grow the size and strength of his own initially small percentage of flocks at the expense of Laban's herd. And he does this, he's successful in this, so much so that in Genesis 31, verse 1 to 2, Laban's sons say, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. 
So he must have accumulated considerable wealth, have been really prosperous during this season. So, yeah, in sum, we read of 20 years of tension and trial, wealth and prosperity in Paddan Aram. And this is where things get really interesting, and we arrive at the point in which we began today's um, journey of Jacob's story. So after decades away, Jacob, as we said, is preparing to re-enter the land of Canaan. And he knows that he never made things right with his brother Esau. He fled, and that relationship has not been restored. They are still in tension. And he is rightly afraid because the last time he had anything to do with Esau, Esau wanted to kill him. And so Jacob, always hedging his bets, always trying to make his own path of security and blessing in his life, he sends messengers ahead of him as they're about to re-enter the land, and he has a message for Esau, and it's essentially a message designed to intimidate Esau, it seems. It says in Genesis 32, 4 and 5, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. He's just listing all the ways that he's wealthy and he has built a position and a name for himself. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favour in your sight. Translated, watch out. You don't want to mess with me. I'm really someone now. But internally, we, we find in the, di- in the narrative that he is actually scared to death of this encounter. And Esau sends a message back and he says, I'm coming to meet you, me and 400 fighting men. 400. Not just like a band of 10, like to my security entail or anything like that. 400 fighting men. So Jacob is freaking out. He is in very real fear at this point for his life and he splits his household, his wealth, everything he owns into two groups to try and mitigate the risk that he would lose everything in this encounter with Esau. You know, maybe if Esau attacks this group, this group can get away and, um, you know, that's the best I can do essentially. So he prays to God in desperation for his life and the lives of everyone in his household and um, just to give himself the best chance of... A successful, if you like, meeting with Esau, he sends a lavish gift ahead of him to Esau that he might try and pacify his brother. And this is a gift of epic proportions. It's hundreds upon hundreds of cattle um, sent to Esau to say, this is for you. Maybe don't kill me. <laughs> um, are we all good now? Um, And that night, Jacob sent his family, his possessions over the Jordan into Canaan, and he was left alone for the night, and the night before he is to meet Esau. And this would be literally a night that would change Jacob's life forever. So let's read Genesis 32, 24 to 32. It says, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This is so true of everything we know about Jacob. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, 
Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been spared, has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. So, I I don't know about you, I find this like one of, you know, there's a lot of strange encounters in scripture. I find this one of the strangest, to be honest. It is so mysterious and just out of the blue, Um, but there's so much packed in here for us to receive what God has for our lives as we read this account of Jacob's here. A mysterious man randomly appears to Jacob alone in the middle of the night before he's to meet Esau and re-enter the land of Canaan, and he wrestles him. Jacob is given a new name, Israel. Israel means he wrestles, and El is that shortened uh, version of the name Elohim, which is God. So he wrestles with God, and he later realizes that it was God himself in human form that he wrestled with. Wow. Just let that sink in. Like, stranger approaches you, middle of the night, it's actually God and wrestling with you. So it begs the question, why? Why would God come to wrestle Jacob? Why? This event, this wrestling match between Jacob and God is actually the perfect picture of Jacob's life to date. As we saw earlier in Genesis 25, Jacob was chosen by God before his birth to be the recipient of blessing, of God's blessing through Abraham, through Isaac, to all the nations of the world. However, Jacob to this point has lived his whole life as if blessing, security, position, power, it depends on him, his scheming, his human planning. He has relied on his own strength and tried to secure blessing for himself. However, even though he might have had reason to abandon Jacob for this pursuit, this resisting of God, God doesn't. God does not abandon him. Jacob has lived a life of self-reliance and independence, but God can't stop being faithful to his promises to Jacob the promises that he made originally to Abraham, to Isaac, and now have been passed to Jacob. And so in a desperate bid to get Jacob's attention before he re-enters the land of Canaan and begins the next chapter of his life, God comes, if you like, to pick a fight with Jacob. He needs to teach him a lesson. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, he puts it this way. It's as if God comes down to Jacob's level and speaks his language, the language of wily manoeuvring and tricky wrestling moves. I love the way he puts that. I just think it's spot on. He's coming and speaking the only language to this point that Jacob really knows well. He's trying to work it out with Jacob. And in their wrestling match, God is probably, you know, like in martial arts where a student would be teaching a teacher, they limit their ability in order that the student might be able to have some opportunity to practice their skills um, with them. That's kind of how we probably see God in this um, instance. He's, 
He limits his, his abilities to just obviously immediately overpower Jacob, but he wrestles with him, but he realises after however long that he can't overpower Jacob in this current state of play. And so in one swift move, he shows his actual prowess and domination, if you like, his strength, and he dislocates Jacob's hip. And that must be a pretty uh, considerable, like a, 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 str- a strong wrestling move or a blow to actually dislocate someone's hip in one go. Like, yeah, God has the upper hand for sure. And the point is this, Jacob is so obstinate, he is so reliant on himself and his scheming and his desire to secure blessing for himself that the only way God can get him to listen, to pay attention, to surrender to him and to his best, to his best for him, is to wound him in that. And you see, this night marks a pivotal point in Jacob's journey. He's on the precipice of re-entering the land of Canaan, the land that represents God's promise of blessing to all of humankind as they live in right relationship with him. That's the key. The blessing comes from living in right relationship with God. As we saw, God asked of Abraham, trust me, trust me. And God simply cannot have Jacob in a state where he seeks to carve his own paths of blessing in life, as he has done all the time to this point. If this promise of blessing to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob and to all their descendants is to come into effect, he needs Jacob to realise that it is through God's blessing and God's favour alone that blessing flows, walking by faith in God. And really, This is the Garden of Eden choice, played out again and again, over and over and over in Scripture. Will we as humanity choose to trust God and surrender to his best for us and for our lives, or will we take matters into our own hands and determine what is best for ourselves, walking in opposition to God, away from him? Will we wrestle against God Or will we yield to God and his blessing for us? We saw a few weeks ago in Genesis 3 to 11 the disastrous consequences of humanity's choice to walk independent of God. Instead of human flourishing, we saw broken relationships, marred sexuality, pride, arrogance, jealousy, rage, murder. In short, and God terms it this way in the early chapters of Genesis, wickedness. And it says that God is grieved by this because he has something so much better for humankind in store. And then in his sovereign grace and his faithfulness to humanity, so eager to restore us back to right relationship with himself, that place where true blessing is found, God calls Abraham out of he's just this obscure pagan it seems. That's the way that scripture tells us. He he calls Abraham and he asks him to do something quite um, revelationary, revolutionary rather, just to trust him for blessing, not to build it up for himself, but to walk by faith and to trust him. God promised that if he did, God would make Abraham into a great nation and a great name through whom all peoples on the world would be blessed. And we see that come to pass in the immediate in terms of Israel were to be a nation that would model to the rest of the world 
what it looks like to live harmoniously with God as the head under God's authority and how well human society would do in that arrangement. And we see it come to pass ultimately as Jesus comes through the line of Abraham. Trusting God is what God seeks all along from us as a people. Faith in God. I would ask today and God would ask us all today, what's it going to take for us? What's it going to take for you to surrender to God and receive his blessing? For Jacob, it took a divine wrestling match and the dislocation of his hip. And we read that that left him with a permanent reminder that he is a mere mortal and he needs to rely on, to trust in God as the source of all blessing. He needed to surrender his scheming, his planning, his manipulative ways and rest in God, essentially. What an ask. Just wants Jacob to rest in him, to trust that he's going to do it all for him. And you know what? When Jacob meets Esau the next day, it's as if it's the icing on the cake from this moment. Esau, with all of his men there, he doesn't come and attack Jacob. He doesn't come and pillage all of all that he owns and, you know, do away with um, their household or anything like that. He runs to Jacob and he weeps and embraces Jacob. So contrary, so the opposite of what Jacob expected from that encounter. It's as if God's wrestled within the night before, said, you just need to trust me. You need to stop planning and scheming yourself. Trust me for the blessing. And there he is. He gives it to him. Esau spares his life. Not only that, it seems like he's yearned for this reconciled relationship for so long. What blessing to be found in that God took care of the blessing for Jacob. I ask again today, what would God, what would it take for you to surrender to God and to trust him and receive his blessing? We're all going through different things in life and we've all come on different journeys. Maybe some listening today here or online today or later in the week, maybe you feel like Jacob, like your family is actually dysfunctional, like things are falling apart at the seams. Maybe you're trying to be the peacekeeper, you're trying your best efforts to persuade people to reconcile, to get on, or maybe you realise like you're the one in the, in the set of relationships that is causing that, uh, that family unit, the demise of that family unit. Don't wrestle against God any longer. If you're a person of faith, don't wrestle against God. Don't try and fix it yourself. Wrestle with him in prayer. Rest in his faithfulness, in his obedience, in his commands to love your spouse, to bless your children. Be the one who carries Christ's perfume into those tense family relationships as his love. And this is the key, not out of our own strength, not trying to carve our own path, but as his love just transforms our hearts. Don't wrestle against God. Walk by faith with God, trusting in his ability to provide blessing, to provide change. He desires to bring it. Maybe you're listening today and you feel like this type of a message could not possibly apply to you because you've persisted for too long in paths of sin doing things or pursuing things that you know are just not God's best for you or for others. 
Maybe you feel like it's all too frequent and too familiar and God gave up on you a long time ago. Maybe that's honestly how you feel today as you listen to this. God can't possibly want to bless me anymore. He's given me so many chances and I've blown them all. But the reality is this, that that's a lie because we can never exhaust God's goodness, his love, his faithfulness to us. He desires relationship restored with us so much that he, he died, he hung on the cross. He gave up his heavenly place of honour and glory to actually come to this earth as a man. That's humility enough in itself. But then he died on a cross to take the punishment for our sins that we might be reconciled with him. You can never exhaust his love. He did that all so that you could be reconciled to him. Jesus himself, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. What a promise. He goes on to say, I am gentle and humble in heart. You know, the one time, the one time in all of the Gospels that Jesus actually um, reveals his core motivating, the core motivating factors, his heart, his heart, he puts a name to his heart. He says, I am gentle. Wow, what a saviour. What a saviour. He says, I am gentle. He doesn't say, I'm powerful. He doesn't say, I'm king. He says, I'm gentle and humble in heart. Jesus, God himself, he earned a reputation as the friend of sinners. And friends, we can be his friends as well. We are all sinners, all of us, every single one of us, myself included, has fallen short of what God's best is for our lives. And he yearns to bring us back into the fold. Don't wrestle against God any longer, but come to him today and rest in his embrace. This morning, maybe as you've, as you've listened, you've realized that you're, you've spent a lot of time and energy and focus in your life on building up your own reputation, on seeking your own, um, your own honor. You've been stoking the fires of your image, the way that people perceive you, seeking to gain control of your circumstances, maybe your finances or whatever it might be. And in love, God would say that those pursuits as all sin is, are idolatry. Seeking a God to worship, to find our, our ultimate sense of satisfaction in something other than God himself. And he would invite you to come near to him today and find your identity, your sense of purpose, your life's meaning in the reality that God loves you. And Jesus has shown that through his death and his resurrection. He wants you to have fullness of life in him. Or maybe today you're listening and you're seeking spiritual truth and you identify with Jacob in his sense of exhaustion in seeking to carve out paths for his life. He was struggling to be his own boss, to make things work for himself, to shore up his position in life. But God would invite you today, if that's you, to surrender those pursuits. Just lay them down because you won't lose out. You won't regret giving up those pursuits, to, to build a life for yourself, to do things your own way when you follow God. And he just pours the blessing of reconciled relationship with the one who made and who loves you into your lap. Living in light of God's love is so much more satisfying than any other version of life you could ever 
imagine. And there's not, if we're honest, there's not a single person today, as any Sunday, to whom this message doesn't apply. We all want a good life. We want the good life. We want to live a life of blessing in right relationship with the people around us. We want to be secure. We want freedom, contentment, joy. These desires, it says in Ecclesiastes 3, these types of desires have been put here in our hearts to point us to the God who alone can fulfill them. The question is this, are you seeking to find these things, joy, contentment, satisfaction, meaning in life, freedom in life? Are you seeking to find them in God, in relationship with God, believing that He, relationship with Him is the very definition of blessing in our lives? Or are you chasing, as Jacob did, after these things on your own, exhausting yourself in the pursuit of the things that God has promised to give you anyway, just as God promised to bless Jacob anyway. Are you exhausting yourself in that pursuit today? And it's so important, Jacob's story, to remember God did not abandon Jacob. He was faithful and he always will be. Despite his determination to do life on his own terms, God did not abandon Jacob, but he remained even more faithful to him, to the point where he came in human form and wrestled him to bring about the change that was required for him to step into a blessing, a life of blessing that he wanted for him. God doesn't abandon us either. He invites us to come to him as he did to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and to everyone who followed after him and to trust him instead because that is the place where true blessing in life is found proverbs 3 verse 5 and 6 it's probably one that many of us are familiar with it says trust in the lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him acknowledge god and he will direct your paths we don't need to carve them for ourselves We don't need to make our own way in this life. Trust in the Lord. Jeremiah 29 verses 11 to 13 was written to nation of um, Israel as they were in exile. God reminding them to, to seek him and that he had good plans for them. But the sentiment behind it applies just as much to us as his people today. God says there, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, and not to harm you. This is God's heart. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He has good plans for us, friends. Plans to prosper, not to harm us, to give us hope and a future. If only we would put our faith in him. How about we pray together now? Father, we thank you that your heart towards us is good, is kind, and above all, Lord, that you are faithful to us. Lord, we think of the scripture that says, what is man, who are we, humankind, that you would be mindful of us, that you would set your affections on us, God. It's too wonderful 
for us to, to really understand, to plumb the depths of, Lord, that you, would, um, that you would set your affections upon us and desire so much that we would be united in relationship with you, enjoying you and all the blessings that would be found in you, God. You would go to the lengths of sending Jesus, that that might be possible once again. God, I pray for us all here today. God, that you would bring us by the power of your Holy Spirit as you gently come alongside us. That you would bring us to that place of yielding, of surrendering of ourselves and of our own plans, of our own independent streaks, Lord, to come and to trust you once again. Maybe for those who have not yet trusted you at all, Lord, would you do that work in their hearts today, God, You're always knocking on the door of our hearts saying, can I come in? Lord, I pray there'd be some here today who would say yes, maybe for the first time. And Lord, all of us, those of us who do know you, who do enjoy relationship with you, Lord, we stray so often, God, and we want to come back into that place of right relationship and blessing with you today. We want to be surrendered to your love to experience all of the goodness. John 10.10 says, you've come that we might have life and have it in all its abundance. So we want to experience that afresh today. And so we invite you to bring that, Lord, as we, we surrender our own independence and we trust and rely on you once again. Thank you, God, that you never give up on us. Thank you that you're faithful to the end. Thank you that there's always hope, Lord. That all that we need to do is come to you to receive rest. We want to receive that today.